Welcome to Inside Track, a conversation with New York's leading property management executives. I'm Carol Ott with Habitat Magazine, and my guest today is Chris Alker, Senior Vice President of Building Operations at ACAM. New York's residential buildings have always had to comply with local laws, and until recently, figuring out how to comply and when has been pretty obvious. Chris, the compliance landscape has changed today, and so projects resulting from these laws overlap. Take a roof replacement. It can now be part of an energy and carbon reduction project, and you have to figure out which compliance bucket to place it in. Is there a way of looking at these projects to figure out which ones can fill more than one bucket, which are the most impactful ones to do early, and in what order should you do them? In terms of impact, there is life safety, there is liability, and then there is financial implications, whether that be failure to perform with requirements of that local law, which will result in violations and monetary penalties, or the cost of actually complying with the local law. Mm-hmm. So in terms of impact, you've put them in three buckets. The impact being life safety, liability, and monetary how should a board factor that in? Or do they even need to think about those three buckets? Or they just, you know, these are a bunch of laws that have to be complied with. Let me just schedule out when they need compliance. How do you address it? Some are all or nothing. And some are, you can sort of extend them out a little bit, right? So now you're a board, you know, you're basically running sort of a financial enterprise that has to comply with these local laws. Is there a way of categorizing where you're going to spend your money and how you're going to spend your money first, second, third, fourth? While you have to comply with them all, you have to almost, you almost put these local laws above other things that you would like to do on your building, right? Because you're Mm -hmm. forced to comply with these local laws, right? So rather than renovate your lobby, you might have to do work on your facade. If it's a million bucks for your facade, a million bucks for your lobby, you got to do the facade. How would you decide, or maybe you don't decide, between something that's a life safety and something that's a liability? That's kind of hand in hand. Like if a brick falls off a building, it will hurt somebody. So that's a life safety. But if that person is living and decides to sue you, it's a liability. Or if they die and their family wants to sue you, it's a liability. Right. Right. I'm not sure you can separate a life safety and liability that easily. They're kind of hand in hand. Those are kind of intertwined. And now you're aboard. You're going to have to sell this. You're going to have to sell probably raising money in some fashion. Exactly. And I think in order to prepare for these local laws and any other capital improvement project, whether it's a, a project necessary to meet a local law or not, what's most important is that you have a projection as to what your building needs to do in the next 5, 10, 20 years. I think people don't realize that they think, oh, you build a building and it's great and it's it's a really sound, wonderful thing and it's like a piece of stone, you know, and it just sits there and nothing happens to it. As soon as you build that building, it starts falling apart. Mm -hmm. As soon as they lay that last brick, weather, gravity, you know, water, sleet, snow, hail, starts to pound your building into submission, or I should say, pound it into old age. (laughs) Just like us. (laughs) Just like us, right? So, yeah, just like you got to go get that hip replaced eventually or that knee or, or, you know, go to rehab for, you know, whatever it is, you're doing the same thing with the building. We have buildings in our portfolio that are over 100 years old, and 
what's probably remaining are, you know, the concrete superstructure and maybe a chunk of the masonry. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you many of our buildings, all the windows have been replaced. The boilers have been replaced. The gas risers have been replaced. The water risers have been replaced. The cooling tower has been replaced. The gravity tank, all the roof membranes, every pump in your building gets replaced. Eventually, over time, your trash compactor, everything will die and you're going to have to replace it or do a major overhaul in order to extend its life. And so that concept of life cycle analysis and, and then putting in dollars to that, basically understanding the the useful life expectancy of the finishes, fixtures, and equipment of your building, and then putting conservative estimates to those replacement costs, having that roadmap for the future is very important. And it makes it a lot more digestible if you know in five years, I'm going to have to spend a quarter million dollars to replace that boiler. That way you can start to uh, make a plan for that, right? Well, in five years, I got to replace that boiler. You're also going to say, well, how do I replace that boiler in a way that I'm also complying with carbon emissions? Can I get a better boiler? Should I switch to electric? Can I go from oil to gas? What type of oil am I on? So they're all sort of intertwined, right? So they're intertwined. And I assume for many buildings, it's different kinds of professionals who are going to study what is needed. So an architect may study one thing, an energy person may study something else. But you start with a rough guide for the entire property, and then you bring in specialists for each unique piece of equipment. So if you're going to do cogeneration, you're going to need to talk to a mechanical engineer, and you may need to talk to an energy engineer to see how that's going to lower your carbon emissions. What's the ROI on that piece of equipment, the upfront cost versus the amortized cost of the equipment, all of that, right? So you Yes, you have to bring the pieces together. And the management companies, you know, that is where they come in. They are conducting the orchestra, so to speak. But you do need somebody with some knowledge to conduct the orchestra. 100%. (laughs) And then I presume once you have a song, you've brought all the pieces together, it's the management company, I guess, who's going to help you figure out where to get the funding for this. Oh, 100%. So we would say, okay, you've identified these projects in this order, and then we're also staying compliant with these local laws, for example. Mm-hmm. And so in the next X number of years, we need to raise this amount of capital. So then we as the management company would say, okay, here are some ideas. Is your building currently bringing in any revenue? If not, are there options for that? You know, if you don't have commercial spaces, you know, you have to think of other ways to bring in revenue. Are you charging for storage? Are you charging to use your health club? Are you renting out the community room for events? Mm-hmm. Whatever. Those are These are all very small ways of generating money. You know, are you charging for bike storage right. or what have you, right? So those are small ways of raising revenue. You might say, hey, we're going to refinance and we're going to draw some extra money out to put into a reserve fund to cover some capital projects. You might say we're going to do a construction loan. You might say we're going to assess or you're going to increase maintenance Mm -hmm. or we're going to cut costs somewhere else, right? So we will, as a management company, bring all these different options to the table. And in your experience, how difficult is it for the board, A, to understand this and B, to sell it? I think surprisingly, I would say that an incredible number of our boards are filled with very competent, capable and knowledgeable professionals. We do have boards with architects and engineers and, and energy engineers and all, this, all the people that would be in the orchestra we would want to conduct this 
thing mm-hmm. if we're keeping the metaphor going. However, there are also plenty of boards who are filled with professionals who come from very different walks of life, but they are still capable and competent professionals. So they are capable of learning and wrapping your head around things, provided that you present it to them in a way that's digestible. I personally feel that that's one of my roles at ACAM is I was a traditional architect for almost 20 years before coming to this office to where I sort of act as a translator. I boil things down. I offer best practices and I help boards understand what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my building? Why do I need to replace that thing? Like, why would I do that? All those sort of best practices and sort of physical asset ideas are things that we will help our boards understand. We always say around here that we're trying to make our boards informed decision makers because we can only do what they tell us to do but we need to bring them the right amount of information and we have to bring them information in a way that they can understand it. And then they can act on it by really, in many cases, selling it to the community and getting buy-in if they, if they need to do, you know, whatever. That's correct. And it can be a little difficult because there are things that people see every day. I've walked boiler rooms with board members who have never been to the boiler room before. They don't even know what's in there. They just know that when I turn on my faucet, the water gets hot. <laughs> right? And that's fine, especially fine if they have a really wonderful resident manager or superintendent or management company. But we have to explain it to them. And then we, again, we will then in turn help them explain it to their boards. And in our experience, I feel like transparency is a really important thing. We often advocate for town halls. We have annual meetings on our buildings every year. And then newsletters. You want to make sure that the building understands what the board has done with the information provided by their management company, how mm-hmm. they've elected to move forward. Like, hey, look, we've decided we're going to, you know, put our building, our parking garage and our facade inspection project on the exact same cycle so that we can use the same professional to cover both at the same time to save on mobilization costs and streamline the process, for example. Mm-hmm. That's something they might do that we might have recommended and then they can sell it often by saying, and as a result of doing this, your maintenance is only going to increase 1% rather than 3%. Or mm-hmm. we don't have to assess this year because it falls under our budget because we we're able to find a way to make this more cost effective. Mm-hmm. Or we used a mom and pop shop. We didn't need to use the mega corporate engineer on this one because it was a smaller project, right? Like you have to build the bespoke team for the project and then and make sure that you're you're not blanketing things across any property. It has to be bespoke to that property. Every building is incredibly different and is an incredibly different situation. So if the board is able to show their constituents that they have their best interests in mind, you know, it usually goes over pretty well. There's always some people that just don't want to spend a penny. There's some people that are on a fixed income. When you take on a building who hasn't perhaps had the rigor of what your firm does, How do you bring them into the fold? Well, we have to gather as much information as possible. We tend to perform capital reserve studies on our properties, or at the very least, existing condition assessment studies on our properties, walk the properties. We want to understand, we want to get an equipment history. We want to understand how old is the building? How has it been maintained? Who are the vendors? What do the vendors say about your equipment? How much life do they have left? We want to look at their reserve. Do they have the reserve? Do they have one month of reserve? Do they have six months of reserve? Have they refinanced before in the past? So when you bring in a billing, just give me a sense of how long does it take 
for you to create a baseline? Just a really basic capital reserve study you can do in a couple of weeks. We'll do a capital reserve study in a few weeks. Ideally, we're doing it in the first year that we're managing the property. Sooner if I can, we're also refreshing these reports on a five-year basis as well. We also do a full compliance audit. We use some, a data scraping software because we want to make sure that we understand what are the open violations on this building. Mm-hmm. And those violations may not necessarily just be monetary penalties. They could require corrections. Mm-hmm. They also could be symptoms of problems with the building. So, for example, if you have a boiler that you have not decommissioned, then every year you could be paying a fine when if you just filled out the form and decommissioned it, then that will be a one-time payment that will go away versus paying the fine every year. So over the course of 10 years, do you want to pay $10,000 or do you want to pay $1,000 one year, right? So we audit all the compliance as well. We do that quite quickly to understand where we're at. And then in terms of financial, I couldn't say, because I'm not in the finance department, in terms of how long it takes them to get a healthy budget going. I know that we start our budget season very early. They do a soft season early. They take them very seriously. They don't just slap on 10%. They go line by line around here. And mm-hmm. they have, in many cases, had to build fresh budgets from nothing. So it could, take, it could take a couple of years for us to whip that building into shape. It just depends how the building has been treated. We've gotten buildings that are wonderfully run, and they say our biggest problem is responsiveness. Mm-hmm. We have other buildings where it's a dumpster fire. <laughs> And we have to, and we have to do everything right, and we have to fix everything. They don't have responsiveness. They don't have nice staff, or they have union problems. They don't have a capital reserve study. They've failed to file their local law eleven. They have leaky pipes. They have bad roofs. They have no money in the bank because they haven't raised maintenance in fifteen years. Could be everything, you know. Usually, it's somewhere in the middle. Sounds challenging. <laughs> yeah, I don't think most people realize how challenging it is. To be frank. I think you're right. Thanks so much for speaking with us today, Chris. It was really informative. Thank you so much.